Hi, everybody. This bonus episode of the podcast was recorded live during our panel at WonderCon earlier this year. The conversation's great, but because it's a recording of a live panel, the auto quality might not be what you're used to. There's links to all the video clips in the show notes, and we'll be back with our, one of our normal episodes next week. And, as always, this podcast is not medical advice. Okay, cool. We can start a little bit early, then. The other, the other panel canceled. The other panel canceled. We could have started an hour early, but that would have been very rude. Uh, hi, everybody. My name's Johnny Kolosinski. Uh, you might remember me from such panels as ConCrud or COVID, self-diagnosis on Monday morning. Uh, we, uh, Jackson, Vane, and I are the co-creators of Hi, Everybody, a Bad Medicine podcast, which is a podcast where we talk about what Hollywood gets right and wrong about medicine and how the body works. We have uh, assembled this crack team of physicians to discuss the uh, medical accuracies and inaccuracies of superhero movies and TV shows. So first, let me introduce everyone. Uh, Dr. Jackson Vane. Hi there. And what is your specialty? I'm a pediatric emergency medicine doctor. Uh, and Dr. Eva Ferrelli. Hi, everybody. <laughs> and I mispronounced your last name, didn't I? No. Oh, Fair I got it right this time. Fairly. Yeah, fairly. Uh, fairly. Um, Fine, it's my husband's. And <laughs> can keep it. I'm a family doctor, so I take care of everybody from birth till death. And uh, Dr. Greg Winter. Hi, everybody. Um, I am a hospice doctor, so I take care of everyone who is dying. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we'll go ahead and uh, start things off with a clip from a movie that kind of restarted the whole superhero trend. And this is from the very beginning of Marvel's Iron Man. I wouldn't do that for you. This is Batman. It's an electromagnet hooked up to a car battery. What I did is to save your life. I removed all the shrapnel I could and set it into your atrial septum. Here, want to see? it takes about a week for the bulbs to reach the vital organ and it's keeping the shrapnel from entering your heart that's right smile i i'm i spent a long time kind of cutting these up so if you if these are your favorite movies and you realize that things are out of order that's my fault <laughs> but i just realized he's telling him that something is in his heart going towards his atrial septum but then he shows him a glass jar and it's clearly yeah, it's not in your body, though. <laughs> um, so the first moment that you guys groaned was also kind of when audience got a little squeamish, which is what was being pulled out of his nose. It's a NG tube, so it's a nasogastric tube. That's something, I mean, I don't know if it happened Ooh. in, oh, hey. Um, I don't know if it happened in your guys' honor oh, school, yeah. but they definitely made us practice putting that in on each other. Uh -huh. um, it's really long. Like, that is one where you actually insert it through the nostril and measure it all the way down to your stomach, and it's really to help if you're obstructed or if you need to feed somebody, but that one was super, super deep, but it does get slimy. I, I feel like they probably actually had him do that, because it doesn't 
when it goes down your your throat, it kind of pulls uh, twirls up in your stomach, and so like that is a much more um, it's a much more cinematic pull of like, oh, look at all this stuff in here. But normally you put it in, it's only going to go down to where your stomach is, so it's only this much. Yeah. So. The other part I groaned at was the ether that they put on to make him go to sleep. And I learned really quickly in undergrad that that really makes you really loopy. Because we used to use it to put flies to sleep so that we can test them, but I was not very smart. And I wanted to make sure there was stuff on it. So I took a really big whiff and I like almost passed out. Always use the, hood. Always use the fan hood. Yes. This is what doctors do in our spare time. What? <laughs> Have a good time with Practice ether. ether. <laughs> Um, uh, oh, and something I should have mentioned earlier is that this panel is not medical advice. Yes. <laughs> uh, and uh, obviously the thing that we really wanted to talk about, though, is uh, the whole shrapnel in the body mm -hmm. going towards the heart. But you've got an electromagnet, yeah. so you're good. But like shrapnel's not, I mean, your heart's not a magnet, so it's not like being pulled towards your heart <laughs> the whole time. Yeah. And you need to have an equal and opposite force pulling the other direction. That doesn't even make any sense. How yeah. come I needed you to say that before I thought? That's <laughs> really sad. I mean, if you already went in to get some of the fragments out, why didn't you get the rest of them out? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, if it's already in the heart, which I, he, he implied that the shrapnel is basically attached to the heart, then the magnet will pull it out and probably cause more damage by pulling on that shrapnel. It's kind of the reason why if you have magnetic stuff, you're not supposed to go to an MRI because it'll pull everything out. Yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's a pretty common thing in movies where they're like, oh, you got to get the bullet out. You got to get the whatever out. And like, no, you don't. If, if there is... If there's no bleeding and the patient is stable, you can leave it in there. And it's probably better to leave it in there than to dig around, cause more damage, cause more bleeding. It's like the big trope like when you watch Predator or whatever and they get shot with an arrow and the first thing people do is like they try to yank it out. That causes so much more damage. And I'll see patients that have actually been shot by an arrow and they're like, we pulled it out. I'm like, why? <laughs> but stopping the bleeding, just don't yank it out. It's just going to cause more mess. And of course, foreign body in, you want to get it out. That's It's really hard to not pull stuff out. But you shouldn't. You should definitely not pull stuff out if it gets stuck in it. Just snip it so it's not as awkward to get into the car. Yeah. And then, and then it'll be much worse. So you can still drive with the yeah. I mean, if it's as long as it's not interfering with the steering wheel like the club, as long as you just snip it, No, it'll no, be no, okay. no, no. If you have something sticking out of your chest, do not be the driver. <laughs> not medical advice. But in all reality, I know people talk about like getting shot and then the bullet being found elsewhere. That does happen. There are very rare cases of uh, called a bullet or a embolism. So it's possible that... When you say found elsewhere, you mean not found elsewhere in the room, but found elsewhere. <laughs> yes. Both. Both. Yeah. Both. It travels. But yeah, if it, if it just has just enough force to penetrate one wall of an artery or vein, but not enough force to penetrate the other wall, then it gets stuck in the vein. If it's small enough, it's going to travel along with your blood flow to another area. And often that area ends up in your right heart, and it just sits there. And it's generally inert. All it will do is maybe cause an arrhythmia or something that's how it's found later on but it's not going to cause you like enough trouble that you need a giant electromagnet taped to your chest <laughs> and then my favorite part I just wanted to bring up one more part after this scene he is literally taken and dunked into water while he has an electromagnet connected to a car battery and I just want to say you know if he survived this I, I still don't think he would survive that other no, part batteries love water you're going to short circuit your battery I, the thing I noticed after you guys left when we were kind of setting this up like look at look at tony stark right now is there something that you notice right now 
about the cup holder. <laughs> the, the place where his cup holder is is where your heart would be. Yeah. There, it, like you have, yeah. A, you have a lung also, so there's not a whole lot of room for stuff yeah. to move around. So like, that's a really important part. It would be one thing if it was just like a metal plate, but that's a, that's a hole. It's a cylinder. And that doesn't make any it's sense. It's really deep. Everyone <laughs> assumes your heart. reaches in there, oh yeah. my gosh. Everyone assumes your heart is just on your left side. It's really in the middle of your chest yeah. and it projects to your left side. So essentially, that is taking a cookie cutter and cutting straight yeah, through your it's, heart. It's in the most nonsense place it could be. <laughs> but you know, goop. <laughs> speaking of goop. Oh, and that's a Gwyneth Paltrow joke. Huh. Um, speaking of goop, um, uh, I want to move on to our next clip, which is from uh, Batman the Dark Knight. Uh, and it is the creation and our first real encounter with Harvey Dent as Two-Face. No! 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 Rachel! Harvey, it's okay. When you were, uh, Rachel! You know what I am? I'm a dog chasing cars. I wouldn't know what to do with one if I caught it. I challenge all of you, you if there's a movie you really like, nice. try to cut it down with just like a thematic interest in mind. It was a lot of fun to just cut these scenes and try to only get like things that show Harvey Dent's half a face. <laughs> Man, the best moment in the movie. This is just for fun. <laughs> yeah, this is just for funsies. Funsies explosion. Supposedly, he was not ready for that. No. <laughs> oh, God. All right. So, um, first, let's talk about the burns themselves yeah. that we saw. Um, one thing that, as we were preparing, that you all brought up was that it's a lot more than his face. Yeah, his hands were burned because mm -hmm. he tried to put out his face, but. Well, and his whole body was drowning yeah, yeah. in gasoline. It doesn't just burn part of you. Once gasoline is lit, it spreads very quickly. Yeah. So his whole outfit would have been burned too. Also, he would be real sticky, <laughs> <laughs> like super sticky. He would either be really sticky or really, really dry and, yeah. and, and then stick. <laughs> right. You brought up, as, again, as we were preparing, you brought up dry gangrene versus wet gangrene. Yeah. <laughs> um, those, those are, so, so gangrene is when your tissue is rotting which is a little bit different than what, um, He's what Harvey's going through. Harvey had all of his, his skin burnt off. Your skin is your biggest organ on your body. It is the thing that protects all of your vital organs, your muscles, your vein, everything else. And so he basically, like, in the words of Futurama, he has skin failure. Oh, that's not Futurama, that is Dr. Nick. Skin failure. significantly later. Um, but like, he, his whole face has kind of failed, and you can see the underlying structures and I think that's the part that sort of gets us the most is your face can't work without those without those structures moving over each other. Yeah. Okay, my favorite part is that he can talk right. yeah. and the air would just come out of his cheek the whole time and he wouldn't be able to make like vocal sounds. It would be a bunch of whistling. Also and... spit. <laughs> yeah, he would be so spitting. So much spit would be coming out. The other thing kind of to notice is if you've ever fallen asleep with your eye kind of partially open, it gets really dry. 
that's permanent. So he would have like a dry eyeball that when he moves around, it will just like make sounds as it's going around too. So yeah, that's so gonna eyeball is gonna dry out completely. Absolutely. Too. That that I mean, he would have lost his vision from the burns alone, but with the dryness just being open like that, he would need someone dripping eye drops in him continually. And likely with a fire that intense, where there was an accelerant involved on his face, he probably would have ruptured his eye. He, he would have lost the eye from a physical standpoint. Like, that looks really be... cool, though. <laughs> <laughs> it really does. Um, like, what are, you, you brought up just things like the pillow. Oh, yeah. He would be stuck to that pillow. <laughs> um, I think the one thing people don't realize is after you get burnt, um, you do make a lot of blisters and whatnot, but that skin's really raw. So if you have any clothes that touch you, um, which I've seen in the ER, like it gets stuck to that. And it becomes really hard to remove because you have to get it wet, kind of loosen everything up and lift up. So he was pretty much on that burn for most of that shot. And when he turned off, I expected that pillowcase just to be a bloody mess, or at least like that sound of Velcro kind of ripping. <laughs> That's what I would have expected from that. And it's pretty dramatic when you see someone who's burnt se severely trying to remove themselves from fabric. And plus, the, the Joker's not sterile in this scene. <laughs> this, he totally would have been in a sterile room um, because he would get an infection in like one second. Yeah. No problem. Like you got a burn injury like that. That's the first thing that's going to happen. You're going to get infected. Yeah, burn, burn medicine is its own specialty. Yeah. And I mean, it would be, I, I shouldn't say anything about it other than like there are doctors who this is the only thing they do to yeah. treat burn cases. And this is, this would be one of the most severe burns I've ever seen. It's full thickness. It's all the way through to the muscle. I mean, you can see inside of his mouth. <laughs> I mean, you can and, compare it to like that Breaking Bad scene where was it Gus Frings? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, the difference is he you would die, right? I mean, yeah. like that's what happens to Gus. Yeah. And that's what he, she he should have the same thing happen to him here. Yeah. It's, it's probably not a survivable injury. No. Not at all. Um, sticking with the Dark Knight, we're moving on to another injury later in the series, which is uh, when Batman fights Bane. <laughs> Adopted the dark. I was born in it, molded by it. Then I will break you. Shadows betray you because they belong to me. <laughs> That's so bad. Ah, yes! I was wondering what would break first. <laughs> Can I just mention one thing? When we were editing this, all Greg kept on saying was he was critiquing the lifting motion. I was thinking, there's, there's two broken backs in this scene. Tom Hardy's lifting from his his uh, back, not his knees. <laughs> Always lift with your knees. Yeah. Like, I'm a family doctor. Like, seriously. All I see every day is people with back pain. So lift with your knees, OK? It's also how you got hernia. Yep, thing. herniated discs all around. Uh, before we get to the, the back injury in depth, another thing that that was brought up while we were watching it was 
the punches themselves. Well, one thing, if some if you're in a fight and someone catches your punch, you have lost. <laughs> you, you need to give up, you need to apologize, whatever you need to do to get out of there. That means you're about to lose that fight. <laughs> um, but also you were saying about their hands. Oh yeah, he would have fractured yeah. his hands that's, many that's times over. One of the common things that you even learn about, like, First thing in orthopedics in med school, you learn about uh, boxers fractures. Where if your if your hand isn't lined up with your wrist, you can break the what the last two metacarpals. Meta metacarpals. Metacarpals. Yes. Uh, so it's <laughs> these two bones right here. Did not do well in anatomy. <laughs> so it's these two bones that get broken a lot because when you punch, all the force is basically on these two knuckles first, and your these two bones can't handle it, so they just snap. The other part too is he's punching in the softest part of your skull, which oh. is actually the side of your head. So that's like the eggshelliest part of your skull. That's why, and, and then thinking about the fact that that's supposed to be an armored helmet and his helmet is crushing in while he's getting punched against, it's just like, Batman is dead in this, yeah. in this scene. <laughs> he would have a lot of ping pong fractures, which is essentially if you took a ping pong ball and you kind of mushed it in, that's the type of fracture he would have. It's called a ping pong fracture. And they're not good. No. They might sound cool, but they're not. <laughs> uh, the back injury itself, though. Okay, um, yeah, so I, I did a little bit of reading and um, I read a bunch of articles where they asked chiropractors and neurosurgeons what they thought about this injury and they all said, you know, he probably, they're trying to represent a herniated disc, which is when the soft part in between your two vertebrae pops out and pushes a little bit on your spinal cord and your nerve roots and causes you to have pain. And I suspect that they were actually trying to represent a vertebral dis, um, uh, dislocation. Dis dislocation. Yeah, yeah. So like the two vertebrae bones in between, like there's discs in between, one of the vertebrae is, is displaced and it can actually push on the spinal cord. And it doesn't always have to be a permanent injury. You can actually save that. And I don't know, did we end up getting yes, the scene? Yes, we did. Um, there's the scene right afterwards. <laughs> if someone has a suspected back... Don't do this at home. No. <laughs> do not lift up. I will say, if you had a herniated disc and you tried to expand it, your herniated disc is not going to go back. Yeah, no way. It's like when you squeeze toothpaste out. If you expand the tube, it's not going to run back. We didn't quite get the full hit there. Oh, man. Okay, oh. <laughs> so in this scene, this doctor in the jail, in the prison, does traction on him. And you've probably heard of traction where you like hang to, to spread out your back. And then he literally just punches him right in the back in the one vertebrae right that's dislocated. He says, uh, your vertebral body's out of place. We need to put it back into place. And then he punches him. He just punches him over and over again. You didn't learn that on your prison medicine rotation? No? <laughs> But people don't realize there's a bunch of bone in front of the vertebrae. It's not just little, it's not Legos. There's like all these little careful bones that surround the spinal cord. Yeah. And so by punching it, you're just squishing it. Yeah. Like he's destroying his back on top of already having a destroyed back. And I mean, I know it's not a physics <laughs> podcast, as we often say, but if your back is broken that way, your vertebral body isn't going to go the other way. Like, that's just a force <laughs> problem. Yeah. 
but that's a pretty cool figure that somebody made. <laughs> with it. Uh, so what would the actual recovery be if you were not thrown into a pit uh, and uh, so had to climb you, out? You would need surgery. So what uh, neurosurgeons or orthopedic surgeons, if you don't have a neurosurgeon around, um, they take the, t the two vertebrae, they put it back together with force, and then they fuse the vertebrae. Because by that time, all the tendons and ligaments and muscles that are holding your spine in place have already separated and like they're not going to be supportive anymore. It's like a loose rubber band. So now you're you're pretty much screwed. So you really do need a fusion. Well, they just put metal plates between those vertebrae, and then you know you can you can recover. It may take some time. Yeah, I think I think one of the big things is the difference between a as a vertebral body injury and a spinal cord injury, and so like that different things. Different things are wrong with both of those, but if your spinal cord is not really injured, your spinal cord has ability to stretch and stuff, but if it's not severed, then you can potentially recover from some of that. I, I think in for this particular thing, it was never, like Batman was never paralyzed, right? And so like clearly there's some bony structure stuff that maybe they can fix. And if you manage to not injure your spinal cord, there's a lot of potential recovery. And slowly we're doing some spinal cord stuff now, but that's beyond my... It's beyond my expertise on all three of ours yes. for now. Yeah. Well, um, Greg, I do have kind of a, a follow-up Batman question that is, you know, in your area of expertise because it's about grief. And <laughs> at my what point about in the grieving thing? process is vigilantism. <laughs> it's, it's it is a step in there. There's acceptance, then vigilantism, then bargaining. <laughs> um, that would be an unhealthy way to express grief uh, in in hospice. People grieve in very different ways, and there's no there's no proper way to do it. There's certainly healthy versus unhealthy. Um, I I would say Bane is expressing some unhealthy uh, <laughs> some unhealthy actions, but also Batman he's he's never properly addressed all the stuff that's happened to him. Right? I'll I'll keep fighting my parents back alive. Yep. <laughs> um, um, moving on, we have a, another DC clip. This is from the Suicide Squad. Um, I selected this one specifically because uh, in the podcast, something that often comes up is that there is never enough blood in scenes. So True. Those walls are real flowery. So for this, the scale flowers. of these injuries, were there enough flowers? <laughs> uh, it feels, I mean... Yeah. It feels like it, maybe. It depends on if she's hitting arteries versus yeah. other things. Um, it really yeah. it, it that, depends on the The artistic head. choice is very nice. I like it. Yes. Also, um, this movie was so much better than the first Suicide. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can all agree on that. Just enough flowers? Just <laughs> enough flowers. Yeah, I think it was, it was really good. Yeah. Just to let you guys know, there are no flowers in our bloodstreams. <laughs> you know, we're talking about medical inaccuracies. But it does point out that Harley is seeing these flowers, right? This is her vision. This is how she sees the world. And um, so I did a little bit of studying about visual hallucinations. Because most of my patients deal with auditory hallucinations, which are a lot more common. Visual hallucinations are rare, unless you have Parkinson's disease. Um, that can lead to um, some visual hallucinations. But um, there was a really interesting kind of stroke that you could get in your midbrain that allows you to see happy bunnies, birdies, and flowers. <laughs> and it's called para-something hallucinosis. And I, oh, peduncular hallucinosis. And I think that might be what she's suffering from. So along with... <laughs> 
everything, Harley might have had a stroke. Impossibly, possibly. quite possibly. I, I think, think she's she had, had a brain injury. Yeah. Yes, she, she may have just point, had a brain possibly. injury in the midbrain. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I deal with a lot of patients with, with hallucinations, just that it's a thing that happens at the end of life, and families are often asking, oh, what do we do about it? And it's if hallucinations are not bothering the patient, we don't do anything about it. As long as they're not command hallucinations in general, like that's like, we usually that's, let them go. They're not command? Command hallucinations. So basically, if the hallucinations are telling you to do things to hurt yourself or hurt other that's, people, that's, that's the only time we really worry. But if it's not interfering with your life and you're not causing harm to yourself or other people, a lot of the time, we'll let you just ride As it. long as we know what it's coming from. Yes. I mean, if we know the underlying cause is something that is, you know, like Parkinson's. Or a brain tumor. Or a brain or tumor like that, that is not really treatable at that point. We just allow it to happen. And most of the hallucinations are really like happy, positive things that my patients tell me. I will say, like, when I was in med school, they let me do a schizophrenia simulator, which is oh, essentially. I did not like that. I did that. Also. It was rough. So what essentially that is, is you get headphones on and it's just people talking at you the whole time while you're trying to do your daily activities. So there'll be like mean ones, like really like perverted things that are saying and you're just trying to do your thing and trying to interact with the world while someone's just yelling in your ear and it really does put into perspective how hard it is to have like hallucinations while you're trying to be a normal person in society. Um. I guess much is, is, is uh, speaking of non-normal people in society. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Everybody that we've talked about so far. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, it, we've got a clip kind of showing the recovery from superhero injuries okay. or uh, in Peacemaker. So this is just a, a, a quick one here. Also, everyone should watch Peacemaker. It's amazing. Yeah. Just for the intro, at least. It is a good intro. Yeah. Let's go. What's your issue with that? <laughs> Dude, you're shot. You gotta be a bit I'm fine, seriously. All I need is a good nap. <laughs> Mr. Smith? Abuse has a power. She's been out there for days. You look so happy. I mean, I like an explosion. Yeah. <laughs> You you edit a bunch of video for hours at a time, <laughs> um, and then this is obviously from Civil War, uh, Captain America: Civil War, the end of that, but similar recovery. Um, first, what was your issue, Jackson, with the, the scene taking uh, her into the ER? So that thing that they put on her face is called a bag valve mask ventilation. And usually for that, you really want to get a good seal, and they kind of put it really softly. But you want to connect it to oxygen if you're trying to give breaths. And if someone's that sick already, you probably want to be thinking about like CPR and all that, too. And she came in pretty bad shape at that point. So they're trying to give oxygen to kind of help her breathe a little bit better. But you should be giving some medicine to help her relax, 
because if you're awake and someone tries to blast air into your face, you're gonna fight it. So you kind of want to be nicer and give them medicine to help them in that situation. She was in pretty bad shape in general. Um, I think she was shot multiple times. So we always think airway, we all, which means you're trying to open up the area to help them breathe. But you also want to give them fluids to help blood pump around too. And then I guess my other trope is everyone's on like the nasal cannula to help them breathe whenever they're really sick because that's the key sign that they're super sick is everyone has <laughs> in movies in movies not is in that life. they have some kind of uh, oxygen delivery device to sometimes them. shortly after they cough blood into a napkin or a uh, handkerchief yeah <laughs> and that they blast oxygen and blast all those boogery bloody boogers down if, their throat again I think if you pay attention you'll see that a lot of people that are that have a mask on also have that NG tube all, they have both oxygen supplies on so it's just one of those things where we know now we know they're really sick they're getting oxygen from two sources <laughs> Um, uh, uh, the next clip, clip we have um, is a little gruesome. Uh, it's animated from The Incredibles, so just a, a heads well, up. Incredibles, invincible. 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 Very, very different things. If yes. you guys are, uh, you know, uh, scared of gruesome stuff, Squeamish. just close your eyes, okay? Yeah. My, uh, wait, maybe, I, maybe I should preface it because they, uh, we were debating whether or not to show it, and my thought was this was one of the few things where you see what it would be like if people who could punch a hole in a building actually we're fighting each other and I I've been having trouble with some of the Marvel Avengers stuff because it's like watching cartoons fighting almost. Like, there's nothing ever happens. And now so. we're going to watch cartoons now fighting. We're gonna watch <laughs> this is medically <laughs> accurate cartoons fighting. Speaking of cartoons. So fighting. close your eyes. <laughs> Anyone seen Invincible? <laughs> Just so you know, that's the first episode. Not spoiled. Not spoiled. Um, if your head gets squeezed, your eyeball does not pop out. <laughs> Mine does. I mean, glass <laughs> eyes. Sorry, glass eyes. Sure. Um, but it's like if you had a water balloon and you had uh, Orbeez inside of it, the Orbeez will rupture. I've dealt with a lot of Orbeez recently. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have children too. Kids, kids eat a lot of Orbeez. Uh, I just, I, I like that because it just shows consequences to like, you know, punching somebody with all your might. You're gonna do, you're gonna do some damage, especially if you're supposed to be the strongest guy in the world, right? Then right. the other people on your team that aren't the strongest guy in the world are gonna, they're gonna fold real quick. 
because even in you know fight between mere mortals, generally you're if if they're if they're fighting to fight, yeah. even if it's just a fist fight, they're not going to come out with you know a scratch and a bruise. Yeah, one one time somebody elbowed me by accident because they were turning around and I dislocated my jaw. I had to see a doctor. Right, that's not even somebody trying to fight me. <laughs> I don't want to say I'm weak chinned. <laughs> this happened in a very awkward way, but I was, like, I was, I was sore for weeks. Got that glass mandible. <laughs> um, and then uh, we've got one, one last uh, clip to show, uh, which is one more Marvel. This is from Doctor Strange. The worst medicine of almost but any he's movie. he's a doctor. <laughs> it's doctors in the title. I'm gonna have to vanish now. No, what? Keep me alive, will you? Okay. Oh, shit. Oh, normally there's ghosts flying around causing a lot of trouble, but I took all the ghosts out. has everything. <laughs> this like hurts me as an ER doctor. So um, his first question is what is official hospital policy on ghosts in the operating room? Um, frown, I think they're sterile. They have okay. the scrubs. They are sterile. They can't touch anything. Um, frowned upon? Yeah. Um, I what if you're alone in the operating room? You should never be alone in the operating room. There's always going to be someone else there. Like, there's going to be an anesthesiologist that's going to watch you. Um, and then you always have an assistant. You have a scrub nurse as well to help kind of with the procedure. So if you're ever alone in the operating room, you're doing something very, very wrong. Um, and I think what she was doing, which is interesting because an ER doctor would never be in the operating room by themselves, is doing what we call a pericardiocentesis, which means she had, he had blood around his heart. So if you think of your heart as two sacs, uh, one is the heart muscle itself and the other one's just like a sac um, that's surrounding it. His was covered in blood, so he can't con constrict his heart and contract his heart, so he can't pump blood. So what she was trying to do is drain blood out, but she did it in a very odd way. Um, I've only done it once. Um, and what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to go under with the longest needle you can find in the hospital and then um, put it in very gently using ultrasound and draw off all the blood so that the heart can contract, uh, can contract again. I mean, you're, you're looking for a space in between two, like the heart and there's the lining and there's some blood in between and you're trying to get a needle into exactly that little inch or centimeter of space yeah. without an ultrasound machine, you're not going to get it, yeah. get it right. You're going to end up all the way through 
into the heart and pulling blood out of the heart, which is counterproductive. Which is even worse. Um, and then, of course, once she pulls out the needle, he's like totally fine, but it, aren't you still bleeding? So the, that sac fills right back up with fluid unless you do an operation, which um, one of my patients recently had because his pacemaker punctured his heart and it bled into the pericardial sac, so this actually happened. Um, and basically they have to cut a little square out of the pericardium so the blood can come out. It's a little window. It's a, called a pericardial window, and um, he has one now, but he's doing fine. Is um, that what Iron Man had? <laughs> it's a different kind of window. But yeah, it's still a window. Well, we don't know if the shrapnel was in the pericardium, but if, yeah, so we yeah, don't know that. It's in the myocardium. <laughs> but oh, I nerds, think the biggest... Nerds. Thank you. Um, I think the biggest trope, though, that we always see is someone whose heart has stopped and they get shocked. And that is something that just annoys me to no end because we'll get families that come in and their their patient their their family member's heart is stopped and they go, have you tried shocking them? But it doesn't work. Um, you have to be in very specific rhythms where shocking can help. And this is not one of those situations. I've actually had a family member whose child heart stopped and they went and got jumper cables attached it to the car battery and tried to restart their child's heart. It did not work. But people get very desperate because that's what they say. You know those um, AEDs that we have around? You know, anywhere. You go to Disneyland. You go to here the convention center. There's a little sign that says AED. And you, like, stick it to someone's chest who's, you know, lying down. Um, it, it registers whether there's the appropriate beat. And it will not let you shock if the heart has stopped completely. Because there's no point. You're actually causing more damage to the person and the tissue. You actually can only shock certain beats. And in every single movie, Movie that there is paddles, the person's heart <laughs> has stopped. Up. It is it is inevitable. I've never seen it done correctly we actually also, in a movie. We also don't use paddles. <laughs> well, yes, that too. Anymore. We just slap <laughs> stickers on your chest and then that records your heart rate at the same time and it will tell you should we shock you or not. I mean to this to their credit, she does say, but your heart is beating. <laughs> right. Like you wouldn't that is a very organized rhythm, so yeah. Also, yeah. very important, there's a reason why they yell clear. And this happened to one of my residents recently where they forgot to yell clear and shocked everybody who was touching the patient. Because clear means get yourself clear. Get away, yeah. And if you don't get the oxygen clear, there's a chance that there could be a, an arc and you can cause an explosion. So we yell, you're clear, I'm clear, oxygen clear, delivering shock. And that's actually the order we go in to make sure that when we deliver a shock, it's the safest way possible. Um, anything that you folks want to add before we open it up to questions in general? Not necessarily about superhero movies, although we're happy to field those. But if you have any medical questions about pop culture medicine, uh, that episode of Grey's Anatomy that made you mad. <laughs> <laughs> that awesome episode of Scrubs. Is there anything? What's your name? Jacob. Hi, Jacob. Hi, Jacob. Thanks for being Thank here. You for my but how, this may sound be a bit obvious, but any of the medical science, medical stuff in Star Trek, is any of that based on reality or is anything real world applications to that? That I mean, you know, is anything based in reality at all? Any real medical science? That's a real big question because there's so much stuff in Star Trek. Right. I think that a lot of that stuff that seems real science fiction y is more. It's becoming more realistic, like right. the ability to um, use our use your phone as a screen for an ultrasound probe, like 
that's that's a that's pretty close to a tricorder at this point. Yeah, right? and, a competition for one. Right, and and so like those things are happening as technology gets more powerful for the stuff in our hands. Um, and actually, what's interesting to me is the fact that. Hospitals are so far behind. Like when you when you spend ten thousand dollars on a machine, you often don't upgrade it for a while. But now you you can go and buy an ultrasound probe and and attach it to your iPad. Yeah, a lot of family doctors actually do that. Um, there's a there's a couple different companies that make ultrasounds, and I actually considered buying it for my office, just you know to to do little things um, like inject a knee or um, you know look for a few like a pulse in the leg or something. You can do that with an ultrasound right on your iPhone. It just yeah. plugs right in. Um, um, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, and, and medicine then, is yeah. just catching up to Star Trek. Yeah, now. and I think Star Trek is the what the vision was that everybody wanted. You know, in medicine, they're like, this is what I dream of medicine to be. And so that vision hasn't changed. So people are working towards that vision on a daily basis. You know, there's companies like, uh, well, I don't, I don't remember the name of it. There's like a company where there's a machine and you go in and it like tries to diagnose you, but then the, the, the doctor's actually just drawing blood and stuff. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's like that idea. Yeah, they, there's a machine that can diagnose you. So there, there is, I think one day we will be the, to that point with a lot of things. Um, we, very early in the podcast, we did a couple episodes on Star Trek. We did one on uh, the the Phage episode of Voyager with the holographic lungs, where is where I learned what ECMO was. Yeah. Um, and another one on uh, the Schisms episode, which is when they're having the night terrors. And it was oh, basically yeah. them talking about... Uh, the residency and not sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, sleep deprivation and residency. You definitely just that's a that's a rough episode. That was. That was <laughs> I love Star Trek, and that was like, what is happening here? Oh, yeah. One of the causes of visual hallucinations is uh, sleep, sleep deprivation. deprivation. <laughs> it, it's true. I felt it. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, hi, uh, my question is uh, like, whenever they do like something where they snap somebody's neck. Would that be instant or would that like take a while? It can be instant depending on how many nerves you sever. Um, there's a very common injury that uh, you can get called a hangman's fracture, and especially in younger patients because their head is so large in comparison to the rest of the body, that if there's a strong enough whiplash force or if they get ejected, that actually does cause sudden death too. And that's actually why they calculate when you're getting hung. <laughs> um, hanged, hanged. Hanged. Sorry, hanged. <laughs> Um, there is a formula that they calculate for the appropriate amount of rope that would actually snap the neck and cause instant death as opposed to asphyxiation. Slow death, yeah. yeah. So, well, the, the, the formula is so you get snap the neck but not decapitation. Yes. And not <laughs> slow death asphyxiation. Yeah. So, that's so it is a small sudden, window. But it does take quite a bit of force to cause like a um, rotatory subluxation and I, a hangman's fracture. I mean, and so now I'm thinking out loud, but it's I think part of it is if you snap somebody's neck, really what you're you're Severing the spinal cord, which does not instantly kill you, it paralyzes you. Yeah, if you C three, four, off. five. Um, so there's like certain certain things in your neck that like part of your spinal cord that if you sever, you can't breathe. So then you'll asphyxiate because you're not breathing. Your, but your brain, your brain can't breathe. It doesn't have that. Breathing. I would say to, one and two. To give you a short answer, no, it doesn't instantly kill you, but you might be dead pretty quickly. Your body doesn't know. But there was that scene in Harley where Harley Quinn, right before the flowers, she um, uses her legs to snap someone's neck. And 
And I mean, I'm I'm not sure if she could have done that in real life. <laughs> <laughs> they did it in GoldenEye. They yes, they did do it in right. GoldenEye, right? Yeah. James Bond did it first. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for the No, question. on a top. On a top. Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> Exedia on a top. <laughs> All right, thank, you. thank you. Thank you. Good question. Hi there. Hi. Hi. I saw your panel at CCSE. Oh, thank, you. thank you. Thank you. I enjoyed it. And I might be, I might have asked that, this, this question that I'm going to ask might be the same question, but do you, uh, I mean, as when you're watching movies, how do you, do you have a fandom that you really enjoy? How do you watch a movie? <laughs> it's very expertise? difficult to get through a movie. <laughs> and, and then really, because I know I'm an IT, whenever I see a movie where they're, they're doing, you yeah. know, tape, I'm like, oh, and how, you know, that's 50 years. Oh, hackers, so good to watch, right? So, so how do you, as medical professionals, watch these, you know, these movies? And enjoy them, or or I, do you, or not? I mean, the superhero movies have like a certain level of disconnect, so that's easy. But it's the medical shows that are the ones I have problems with. Um, you you can ask any medical student, doctor, whatnot, and if they ask you, ask them what their favorite medical show is, they'll say Scrubs because that's the closest so thing to. That's the, the most movie. accurate one, right? Like that is where you see people kind of going. There's there's horrible stuff happening, but also you have to find humor in your life to get through it, and that's what residency is really like. I think Scrubs really. Some sometimes, I mean, my husband just has to remind me to suspend disbelief. He's like, "Can you stop it? I'm trying to watch a movie." I'm like, "Oh, okay." Okay, I won't say anything. <laughs> but I think Johnny has actually seen me physically pained watching like The Good Doctor, yeah. and I wanted to like just curl in a ball and go, "Please, God, make this stop! I can't believe we're watching this episode for this week." I, However, Courtney, who was on the panel that you saw in November, uh, Dr. Courtney, she loves, loves Good she Doctor. Loves the Resident. Loves oh, the Resident. That's the Resident. <laughs> she loves it. It's terrible. So she. So um, we will ask her, you know, to detail it so we have it for next time. Personally, I like picking it apart. I mean, you see those things that make you like, oh, that's, mm, they could have used me as their medical consultant. I would have made it a little bit better. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. But I think for the most part, we do enjoy it. It's just yeah. sometimes when it's egregiously bad, it's hard not to notice. And yeah. that's yeah. when it hurts the most. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, and thanks for coming back. to see us yeah, again. Yeah, coming back. <laughs> I think we've got time for, for one more, if anyone has, has another question. So, going back to Doctor Strange and him being a mystic, have you ever found in real life where a person could control some part of their body by mental whatever? I I have heard of these things, and of course you, I have seen things like with Shaolin monks and stuff that control their temperature and things like that, but I've never seen anything like it in, in actual practice, real life situation, where it might matter other than a parlor trick. And so that's a very different, you know, to, to have that kind of control over your body where it might save your life, I have never seen anything like that. Yeah. I definitely have a lot of patients in the area of Orange County that I practice who do believe <laughs> that they can do those things, um, but I've never actually witnessed it. I will say the closest thing would be like if someone's having um, 
like anxiety attacks or whatnot, and you can kind of talk them through it. When their heart rate's just through the roof, you can kind of lower it. Um, the other thing that you can kind of think about too is there's something called like SVT, which is supraventricular tachycardia, when your heart rate is going over 200. You can actually do certain maneuvers to will their heart rate down. So you can have them hold their breath, you can have them blow through a straw, you can massage one side of their neck, not both, because that'll drop their blood pressure and then <laughs> cause them to go down. Um, the other thing too is sometimes we'll take cold water or an ice bag and put it on their face and that'll cause their heart rate to drop too. So there are certain maneuvers that you can control your body with. That's like a very, very rare kind of situation, but you can actually have the body will itself into correcting itself if you can do the right maneuvers. But a lot of times they end up getting That's most of what medicine is, is just buying some time so your body can fix itself. Yeah. And I mean, in the big scheme of things, all the pain we feel and all that is dependent on how bad our emotion is and so we do in some way control how much pain we feel and and so if you're in a really good place mentally you could have a lot less pain and recover more quickly from things so i definitely have had patients recover from surgeries a lot faster than certain patients who are depressed and stressed and you know have so in a big picture of things i think that your mental state and your optimism and how well you manage your emotions really does, in, in, you know, it, it really show is us a big how you're recover. recovery. Yeah. yeah. All right. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Well, with that, it's about time for us to to wrap things up here. Um, really appreciate everyone coming out, staying late for WonderCon, and uh, and checking us out tonight. Uh, you can find the podcast online at www.hieverybodymd.com or on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at HiEverybodyMD. You can also, if you have a question about about something, you can give us a call at five three zero Doctorb. That's D O C T O R B. Uh, and uh, we will do our best to answer it on the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for being here. Thank you.